0: Hello, I'm Seth Simmons, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 7 of Opt Out. Opt Out is a show where I sit down with passionate people to learn why privacy matters to them, the tools and techniques they've found and leveraged, and where we encourage and inspire others towards personal privacy and data sovereignty. Where does privacy fit in to opting out of a broken or breaking economy or society? How can we build parallel economies using privacy tools? This episode, we're sitting down with Uri Bednar to chat about his own personal privacy journey how parallel economies can and will work, and what role Bitcoin plays in building up a parallel economy around us. Welcome to Opt Out, Uri. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really, really glad to be able to sit down and chat with you today, especially on the topic of parallel economies. Um, just the more that I've I've read from you and and listened to talks you've given in the past, the more excited I get for, for that idea of a parallel economy um, and what that can really mean practically to people's lives, as especially just as the world seems to be getting more and more chaotic or authoritarian. Uh, there's some, some shifts where parallel economies, uh, I think, become a clearer and clearer um, bright spot and way to opt out. So really excited to jump into that. Uh, and, and for those of my listeners who aren't familiar with what you do or the topics that you're passionate about, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit?
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I'm uh, passionate about uh, IT security and uh, other interesting uh, topics have been, um, and I would say, old cypherpunk when I was young. I was following all the uh, things about PGP and uh, everything else, and uh, it kind of rolled f- uh, from there. Um, I co-founded... Uh, uh, Parallelna and Parallelni which are two spaces where we try these ideas out. Um, they also host uh, an Institute of Crypto Anarchy. So it's uh, all boils down to a very interesting version uh, or a remix of a hackerspace. Uh, so that's one of the things I, I've done. Uh, I also uh, wrote uh, a few books uh, on these topics. Uh, I'm really interested in uncertainty of obviously cryptocurrencies, privacy. Um, I wrote my first book about uh, the privacy things in, uh, uh, I would say, 2002. Two, so uh, quite uh, uh, quite a long time ago, and I've been just going through it through it lately because it's been sold out, and I I published uh, uh, just a a version for people to um, uh, to kind of see what we were uh, talking about, how we were approaching privacy back then. So most of my books are in Slovak language, so unfortunately encrypted for. Most of the listeners, but I'm working on an English book as well.
0: A classic type of encryption. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, what was it that woke you up to the to the need for personal privacy?
1: Uh, you know, I've I've been uh, first of all mostly interested uh, in the in the technology in the in the uh, in in the encryption. It was fun for me to. Break these kinds of things. Uh, then I uh, I studied it uh, at at college, um, and um, I became a netizen, which <laughs> which we uh, used to be. Uh, we were used to uh, call ourselves uh, and that uh, back then. So one of the first users uh, of the uh, of the internet in Czechoslovakia, of course. Um, Uh, In in the US, uh, people have been online for uh, a little bit longer, but uh, I had to wait until the communism fell down and we could uh, connect to the internet. Um, And I've realized that uh, nothing uh, is encrypted. If you uh, know uh, what to do, you could uh, listen to conversations, you could uh, see what uh, people were searching, what they were downloading. Uh, you could pretend to be someone else. Um, and on on one hand, uh, it was uh, very, uh, very interesting um, uh, to play with these technologies. But on the other hand, it was also interesting to see the implications for the i would say social structure on 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 the internet what does it mean if someone is anonymous are they you know nicer or are they jerks or <laughs> uh, how does uh, how does this um, apply to i would say relationships between people and um, it was our world back then i uh, of course had uh, great friends in the real world but for me it was interesting that i could interact with uh, you know a professor from finland and uh, because we were uh, talking about code and uh, geeky stuff uh, they didn't even know that i was uh, you know a 12 years old guy <laughs> or a 12 years young guy um, so uh, so it was very interesting because. Um, On one hand, the anonymity kind of, um, uh, I would say, mm, didn't allow the full expression of uh, individuality, especially if you were only chatting. On the other hand, you could see other interesting parts of people uh, because uh, there were no, no, I would say, judgments based on your appearance or your accent in my case or anything like that because it was all text and uh, unless they asked and uh, someone truthfully answered no one knew who is the person on the other side so that was kind of exciting
0: yeah i think that's a that's an aspect that I don't really think about much is that like, there are definitely huge benefits to being able to be pseudonymous or anonymous online, but it is still a, it's an alternate identity. It may not be the entirety of who, who you are. So there is still such an important aspect to having that, that in-person community or maybe just a, a non pseudonymous or anonymous community that you you feel like you're safe enough around to be able to reveal your, your kind of true identity around. So that's a, that's an interesting perspective. I don't think, think about very much
1: i th- I think it's also morphing i would say you know i'm now i'm not the same person i was when i was 12 and you probably are not either and i would probably not even enjoy having a you know a conversation with my younger self so uh so that there's also the question what is the true identity if you if you even know what it is and maybe you can have more than one so
0: yeah yeah it's yeah. interesting and so that's kind of why you got into privacy and then what is it about privacy that makes it such an important topic for you today to to talk about to educate about or to learn about yourself?
1: Yeah, so as I said, I come from uh, what is now a post communist country uh, well people uh, would say that uh, Slovakia and Czechoslovakia um, or what what's left of Czechoslovakia, meaning Czech Republic and Slovakia we are um uh uh liberal democracy but uh, it was uh not the case uh, just a few uh, decades ago and I think we still have uh, many things that we uh, we can learn from our, our past and uh see that things can change really uh, really mm. fast so um It's all good. Uh, You know, we are mostly free. You know, sometimes the governments uh, say that, uh, uh, you know, we can't uh, smoke this plant or, uh, you know, uh, travel during a pandemic where we want to and so on. But compared to uh, what what was happening when I was growing up, uh, uh, it's a very free world. And I think the Uh, appreciation um, for the fact that it can also change for the worse. that the history is not a a linear or exponential progression towards a better world but it can also go backwards and that's what we I think see uh, right now happening uh, with uh, COVID and all the the things and uh, when this happens uh, privacy is super important because uh, Privacy is um, an ability uh, to selectively reveal yourself. So privacy is not about, you know, no one knowing my real name. I told you my real name. Uh, It's not about, uh, uh, you know, doing everything in secret and being uh, fully encrypted and locked in a black box or something like that. it's about choosing if I want to go out on the street naked or if I go uh, naked only to sauna and only with friends uh, that I know. So, um, and, and this is uh, very important in case something happens and in case you need to uh, do things that suddenly become illegal or not socially accept- acceptable. And uh, um, and it's up to you. When you when you lose the privacy, you don't you no longer have a, have this option. But when you when you kind of uh, uh, tend to it uh, like a like like a garden, um, then uh, you might at some point find that it's uh, it's quite useful, um, depending on on what happens uh, around you.
0: Yeah, it's it's so valuable. I think especially for people who have. I mean, like myself, I've grown up in the U.S., so I've generally had very good freedom. Obviously, there's been different groups in power that, that care about different things and outlaw different things and legalize different things. But um, generally, it's been a, a pretty relaxed environment to grow up in as far as freedom is concerned. Obviously, there have been lots of privacy issues um, pervaded by the government and corporations now especially. but. I think it's it's really important, at least for myself, but I think also just people generally in the West to to hear from people who have grown up with different experiences or from countries with different experiences, who the memory of an oppressive government is close enough that they can they can still think about like what what could happen and why do it, why is this important? Because I, th- I think a lot of people it's hard to to it's hard to turn them on to the idea of caring about personal privacy because they see today as it not being a core issue to their lives. And they're not able to connect it to any past oppression or issues or uh, censorship that they've seen. And they're not able to clearly see how that could change in the future. So hearing those perspectives about people who have seen the, the negatives of a loss of privacy and of people not caring about privacy and can then take that take that to heart and say, even though right now it may not be life or death or it may not be essential to who I am, Taking the steps to to care about privacy right now, so that if something changes down the line, and again, hopefully it never does, go back to something like a um, like a a communist regime or something controlling a country. But if it does, you're prepared and you're ready. So I think that's a, a really really valuable perspective there. Um, and
1: yeah, I it, I, I often uh, say that uh, when when the governments want to pass a law to usually to uh, keep us more secure. Uh, I tell them, okay, now imagine that the, uh, in case of Europe, the prime minister in case of the U S uh, let's say the president is your, you know, worst nightmare politician, you know, um, uh, guy with the mustache with a, uh, kind of, uh, two straight hands or something like that. <laughs> and, um, uh, for example, in Slovakia, uh, th- there was this law that uh, that allowed uh, censorship of internet, but only based uh, on uh, uh, illegal gambling and uh, I think pornography. So, so very specifically um, mentioned in the law. Okay, this is against uh, against illegal gambling, and if it's not illegal gambling, you cannot use this law to block it. And I say, okay, it's. Quite interesting, it's, uh, of course, uh, the state wants their gambling revenue. Uh, People who don't want to uh, pay taxes, they will go around uh, through a VPN. And uh, it's this long play. Uh, It's been happening uh, for quite a long time. But now uh, the internet service providers had to build the infrastructure. They have these, these, you know, big red button and they can turn off any any website and i say okay uh, so all it needs is uh, y- uh, you know more than half uh, percent of members of parliament uh voting for a different law and everything else is already there the red button exists it's just not blocking gambling but uh, free speech or uh, um or markets or anything like that so so that's a uh, i think a uh, useful uh, way to look at it. If this law passes, would it be uh, good to have it in the hands of someone horrible that you that you are afraid of?
0: Yeah, that can be especially powerful. I think in the U.S. as everything is so. I mean, I'm sure there's it's like this in other countries. Obviously, I'm speaking from personal experience here. But just seeing how people kind of view their party or their candidate as like perfection, and they like to think that they're only doing things that that benefit you, and then they view the party or candidate that they don't like as just like pure evil and always looking to do the worst thing. So when the the candidate or party that they do enjoy is putting in laws that they feel like protect them or maybe that hurt the other party or candidate or other political viewpoints, they cheer it on and they're all for it, but they don't think about the ramifications of that infrastructure is in place now. So what happens when the other party or candidate takes over and they have access to those things that you're cheering on right now, and they turn those tools against you, or against the uh, political ideas that you care about, or that kind of thing. That can be a, a very powerful tool to shake people up and make them realize, like you may like how the tool is being used today, whether or not that's actually being used for good. But you may like what the tool is being used for today, but that could change very rapidly. Yeah. And uh, what's a common myth about personal privacy that you've run into?
1: Um, very common one is. Uh... I don't care because I don't do anything bad or evil, um, and that can come and bite people. Uh, uh, I think one of the uh, uh, one of the good instances, if we talk about cryptocurrencies, is uh, I'm saving in crypto. I am uh, willing to pay the taxes when I take out the profit. So I don't care about KYC and all these uh, all these uh, requirements to identify myself to uh, to say that, uh, for example, to report how much crypto I have and so on. And again, the the uh, the f- the first thing is of course the same uh, s- uh, same approach uh, as as we mentioned. Uh, and that is okay. Uh, let's say the taxes are now twenty percent. What if they become ninety percent? Would you think the same? Um, and uh, uh, your current intention of taxing something doesn't—you uh, unless you can predict the future and can say, okay, this is how it's always going to be. Um, it's. Um, quite short-sighted i would say especially in situations when you don't have to you're not breaking any rules you can perfectly okay buy crypto anonymously it's not illegal it's not uh, or in in, uh, most countries uh, if you buy from friends with cash or if you buy from an atm you don't have to identify yourself so it's a choice and you uh, chose uh, uh, the not so private, uh, maybe cheaper, maybe more uh, convenient uh, uh, way of acquiring uh, the crypto, but uh, it can bite you, and you don't even need to have an some evil interest or uh, some some uh, um, some something bad that you you are willing to commit. Of course, the other problem is uh, which comes to. Um, um, the things that uh, people don't realize often is that, uh, uh, in this case, uh, uh, y- your enemy is not uh, the government, uh, but uh, also private parties who can extort you uh, and so on. So um, in the US, you have the uh, the FATCA uh, reporting law in uh, uh In other countries around the world, uh, it's the OECD CRS, Common Reporting Standard, which most of the countries uh, in the world, with notable exception of the US and maybe Paraguay and a handful of other countries, um, signed. And uh, this is a standard uh, similar to uh, or international agreement similar to FATCA for the us uh, which um, forces uh, institutions exchanges and so on to report uh, your uh, account balances your uh, some of your transactions and so on so my question is okay i buy bitcoin on uh, let's say Uh, some regulated exchange. Uh, They, of course, uh, want uh, to have uh, access to the banking infrastructure. So they have to comply with all these uh, CRS and FATCA rules. And what happens is that uh, they report uh, at the end of the year um, what happened with your account. There's a data structure that is uh, in case of CRS uh, standardized, and um, this exchange will send uh, this information to my uh, tax office. Um, and even if I don't fear my tax office, uh, I well, I'm a hodler, so I'm, I'm not selling any crypto, so, <laughs> so uh, I don't have to tax anything, uh, which is not a problem. I don't really care if these guys know about my crypto that much, uh, or I don't need to care, uh, practically, I, I do care. Um, but the problem is, okay, someone with uh, a big fat envelope or a suitcase come to the tax office and they say, okay, uh, give me a list of people who uh, bought crypto worth more than, I don't know, $50,000 or $10,000 um, or any crypto at all uh selected from the database here's the suitcase you can buy a fancy new car or something like that and these people that are working in these tax offices i don't know about the us but um, in europe they they're not the best paid people and uh there have been cases for example in uh, uh in netherlands where uh, where people were uh being uh, uh i would say uh Violently forced uh, to reveal their private keys, and uh, uh, I don't know where they got their information from. But this is an obvious, uh, easy leak that uh, that can happen. So, um, so the myth is that uh, I am not doing anything wrong. I don't need to care about privacy. I have to uh, tell you, I am not <laughs> doing anything wrong. I'm a, I'm a good person, and I I don't uh, intend to cheat or, or do something bad to the society, but I do care because the society can change and there are people who can abuse this private information.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really good distinction. Oftentimes when I'm talking about privacy, especially on this podcast, I do kind of focus on government or capitalism, like surveillance capitalism, that, that type of thing. So I'm usually thinking about government or private company actors being the problem, um, but there's a really good point that oftentimes privacy could also just affect us from that kind of $5 wrench attack that we talked about in cryptocurrency where, yeah, you may have secured things well and, and have things down, but if you've put all that data out, we've put down your ID and passport and a picture of yourself and home address and everything. If that, if that information gets leaked by that cryptocurrency exchange or by that tax office, or if like you mentioned, someone buys that information and gets access to it you could be a target because you've chosen not to protect your privacy even though it's not a government or a, a company that's coming after you it could just be somebody who wants access to the money that they know that you have because you did not choose to to acquire it privately so yeah i think that's a really important and,
1: aspect and i think uh, what people uh, don't really understand is the uh, uh, the the the, uh, the extent that uh, this information is shared. Uh, so, um, if you go to the uh, PayPal website, for example, and you uh, go through the terms and conditions, uh, they uh, they have a list of companies they can share your information with, and um, at least on the German uh, PayPal website, uh, which kind of covers the european market uh, they have a list of more than 100 institutions that they can share your financial information with and uh, it's not all uh, state institutions it's like uh, uh, it's like the uh, the credit rating agencies marketing agencies so so uh, you can have a um they can target uh um advertisements uh better and 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 kind of um uh make them more personal there are risk rating agencies there are uh all these uh kyc and uh and background checking registries and so on and uh it really sparks like fireworks it's not you know i i always imagine okay if i use paypal to buy something um it's not a uh, you know. Most people think it's the the receiver of the payment that uh, learns uh, information about you. Obviously, um, it's PayPal. It's maybe your credit card company and uh, bank uh, and you. But uh, in reality uh the the sparks go much wider and uh, this information is shared with many more parties than people realize with cryptocurrency exchanges uh, many people don't know that uh, for example, if uh, the cryptocurrency exchange uses chain analysis company uh, they share information with the chain analysis company uh as well so it's not uh, not a one way information exchange that uh, you know the exchange asks uh, uh, the uh, the chain analysis company about uh, some risk of the address uh, but when uh, uh, when you uh, withdraw from the exchange, uh, the exchange in some cases uh, can and does report back to the chain analysis company that okay, this is a withdrawal from our um, uh, from our uh, uh, hot wallet uh, to someone's account. And now the question is, okay, what other information is attached? Is it? Uh, Does it say, you know, this is a withdrawal from Coinbase to a personal account and they don't say whose account it is or do they mention my name and uh, we don't know?
0: Yeah, yeah, that data sharing can can be brutal and can be really unseen. I mean, I think even PayPal listing out the companies, that's probably a fairly rare thing to list out clearly who the data is being shared with and obviously who knows if that's the limit of the list, but it's a, an important aspect to keep in mind. Rethinking about well, the personal data. Some you're giving some out. of them.
1: Some of the companies are probably aggregators, and they share it with other parties. So you don't really know. It's just uh, the the reason I mentioned the number more than one hundred is that people think you know it's a it's a relationship between you and some payment processing company and the and the recipient of the payment and. Uh, when when you hear the word hundred, uh, it kind of shackles this, uh, uh, shakes this uh, uh, perception. But you know, a risk creating company can maybe share this information further. Maybe by them asking about the transaction, they also share it with some other registries. We don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And before we dive more into this idea of parallel economies that I I really want to get to today, um, I do want to ask one more quick question. And that's, what's something that you feel like almost no one agrees with you on? (laughs) Um,
1: uh, The the importance uh, uh, of, I would say, peer-to-peer economy, parallel economy. So we can go back to that. But uh, why I mean that is that um, uh, people are often waiting for the solution, for, for the institution that solves something, you know. People say, okay, Bitcoin solves this problem or Monero solves this problem and so on. And um, I think uh, when when we have some problem uh, in the economy, in, in our daily lives uh, or in particular in cryptocurrencies, uh, we are waiting for the for the next project to solve that for 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 a beautiful solution, and so very often the solution is not that beautiful. It's kind of easy. Many uh, many of the uh, of the solutions are you know writing down on paper something you know uh, drafting a contract uh, between people and uh, um, so one example would be. Uh, would be, uh, we are talking about exchanges, you know, everyone wants a super easy one-click exchange that protects your privacy, has almost zero fees, and uh, it's private, and it's secure, and it goes to your hardware wallet, and so on. And uh, what I often realize is that uh, the hard way for me, uh, meaning uh, create a social structure of people who are using cryptocurrencies who, who want to exchange them and you know have someone to write okay I want to buy to Monero uh, for cash uh, where should we meet and uh, uh, this is kind of like a like a uh, I would say easy but uh, a little bit dirty solution to people you know it's a it's a difference between uh, between a restaurant chain and uh, and a street vendor um uh, so this this kind of uh, centralized all encompassing uh, solution versus the the dirty peer to peer market chaos <laughs> that people people don't like and uh, for for a lot of people it's uh, you know either this uh, nice polished uh, solution exists or uh, or it does not but uh, what I, what i came to appreciate is uh, is the street vendors is the uh, it's the easy solutions uh, it's not uh, you know asking about uh, the ultimate solution of uh, I don't know who would build the roads uh, in a free society or uh, how would you provide justice uh, in a in a in a free market society Uh, obviously I'm a I'm a uh, libertarian, so I'm I'm interested in these things, but um, I think uh, that crypto anarchy brings us more down to earth, more to uh, what people are actually doing instead of you know uh, creating these uh, philosophies and uh, possible future market structures. Uh, so, uh, so I what I often do uh, in case of, for example, justice, I say okay if you have a dispute what do you do obviously people don't uh, often uh, go to state court uh, especially in post communist countries because that takes 10 years and <laughs> the result is uh, uh, as good as a uh, as a uh, coin toss <laughs> so uh, so and and people people have these solutions they just don't have a Perfect uh, solution for everything. So for justice, I think uh, you know Uber, Airbnb are justice providers because it's uh, part of what they what they do. How do you convince your customers that someone will not cheat you? Um, the the peer to peer exchanges like Huddle Huddle or BISC are. Uh, also, justice providers because they deal with the situation of uh, of cheating, uh, even dark markets. Even the first version of Silk Road has had a, had a justice mechanism uh, to make sure that uh, people were not cheated. Uh, so, um, it's not a you know uh, a universal solution to all problems of justice in the world. Uh, but it works in these particular cases, and I like to explore um, and uh, you know uh, think about, write about, and experience uh, all these uh, dirty uh, solutions that are somewhere down in the hierarchy, maybe too specific, uh, but they work today, and we can we can use them.
0: Yeah, let's let's dive into that a bit more. Um... You, you sent me a chapter of your upcoming book that you're writing on parallel economies, um, and you focused heavily on how vital parallel economies can be to surviving or even thriving in times of economic or social collapse and chaos. Can you break down a little bit of what a parallel economy is and why it's an important aspect to being able to opt out of the normal economy?
1: OK, I'll, I'll go a little bit uh, more. Um uh more broadly but we'll we'll get to the economic part of uh, of it as well yeah, okay. so uh so uh we started this uh space called parallel police uh police not as uh, cops but as a, a greek work for worked for a city or the s- small social structure so uh with an s at the end and um this was uh uh invented uh, or uh, wrote about a uh, a uh, uh, guy uh, during uh, communism uh, in Czechoslovakia and uh the reason was that uh, there was uh, this attempt of intellectuals uh, to reform uh not uh, not cause a revo- re- revolution but to kind of convince the government to not be as evil as they are, and they failed spectacularly. Uh, so this guy realized, okay, uh, now we have basically uh, only a few options. I can escape. Uh, I can uh, find a way to uh, cause a revolution, which can be expensive and bloody, and uh, uh, maybe maybe it wouldn't work out, or. I have a third option which is um I create a backup society. I create uh, you know the uh you know like Elon Musk is talking about uh, uh creating a multiplanetary species it's the same idea but on the same planet so um what uh, these guys were doing is for example uh, there were some allowed concerts and bands and some that were not allowed. So okay, they created a structure uh, for uh, for these uh, uh, censored or not allowed bands to play in secret somewhere. Uh, you needed to send your children to a mandatory uh, school and uh, this school was teaching Marxism, Leninism, and uh, I would say a little bit uh, brainwashing, uh, uh, brainwashing the children. Uh, of course, you couldn't say, "Oh, f- fuck you, communists! I'm not sending my children there," because then you would probably go to uh, go to jail, and the children would go to a state orphanage or something like that. So you had to do it, uh, but there was no real. Um, Way to stop you from saying, okay, uh Saturday, 5 p.m., in the kitchen of this guy, there is going to be a talk about Western democracy or, you know, Austrian economy, <laughs> which was a sci fi back then. Uh, they, they didn't know too much about it, but uh, any other topic that was contrary to, to what these children were taught in school. So they could do it. Of course, they ha- had to uh, tell the children to uh, to uh, not talk about it uh, too much. Uh, but they they could create this uh, backup parallel um, uh, parallel uh, system. So one of the aspects uh, I, I I told you about culture. So these bands, um, uh, but of course. Uh, uh, writers and uh, uh, and uh, other people who were uh, doing uh, uh, not uh, state sanctions uh, sanctioned culture. I was uh, talking about education. They had another pillar which was religion, which was completely banned. Uh, the only allowed religion was uh, what they were called, what they were calling uh, uh, scientific atheism. So. Uh, uh so that was the only allowed uh, official religion um uh, then there was information exchange which which was crucial back then now it's a little bit uh, more uh, more okay and the last part was um, uh, something that this guy uh, which who was called Vaclav Benda um, was most afraid of and uh, uh, that was the uh the parallel economy or black markets and um, it is important because uh, all of these pillars are i would say basic pillars of society and if they're controlled if they're not working well enough um, it takes a lot of time to reform them Uh, uh, they have this inertia and people People tend to uh, be not very happy about uh, reforming them uh, too fast. Uh, so, uh, so these parallel solutions uh, for these uh, societal institutions, what they provide is uh, um, is a way to experiment and is a way to have a backup plan in case the the main plan fails. Uh, there is not necessarily something to replace it, but there is something in place that is already tried uh, uh, and and uh, uh, that people have already built because these things don't appear from thin air. Um, but you need to you need to work on them, and it's quite a quite a lot of work to uh, keep this uh, going. Uh, so for parallel economy, uh, we have uh, several. Things that can be problematic and uh, that parallel economies are quite good at. So, for example, at least in Europe, what we what we saw uh, beginning of COVID epidemic was quick regulations of uh, face masks and uh, and FFP two and FFP three respirators. The governments uh, uh, did. Uh, um, Anti-price gouging laws, or they were completely regulating the sale, and uh, that uh, ran prices to the roof. Uh, there was uh, there was quite a big uh, scarcity of these things. And um, what was interesting to me uh, that uh, immediately you could see the parallel structures. Uh, usually, people who were um, uh, were trading before. Some of them were trading, for example, farm meat or or vegetables from their farm. Uh, Some people were maybe trading wheat or or dealing wheat and and so on. And these people, they already had their customers. They already had these relationships and they very quickly found, okay, this is something that people want. uh, So I need to find a good source and then then I can sell it to the people, and uh, it was very interesting. I was super surprised how fast it happened. Uh, so this is, I would say, one of the main reasons for parallel economy. What if something happens to the to the supply chain? What if uh, you know there's a huge scarcity of something? Uh, do we have a parallel? Uh, trade and distribution structure when the states uh, decide to centrally plan the uh, the supply chain and they uh, usually fail miserably in uh, in this task. Uh, so that's the first one. Uh, it also relates to cryptocurrencies because the supply chain are exchanges. So what do you do if uh, the state bends uh, uh, cryptocurrency exchanges or sale of cryptocurrency and so on. We've seen that, so we don't have to guess. Uh, there are countries like Colombia, um, uh, maybe Nigeria, where um, it's illegal for uh, for um, exchanges to, I think, interact with the banking system. So you cannot wire money to buy Bitcoin, for example. And you could see that uh, these market participants uh, uh, they they uh, supply uh, the, all these needs uh, of the of the economy within a parallel structure. So it's not a, an official structure. It's you know uh, a guy that uh, sells you wheat. Uh, they can also uh, they can also sell you Bitcoin or buy Bitcoin from you or something like that. So. Um, That's the supply chain part. And the other part, uh, which is money, uh, uh, which is super important. uh, And uh, you maybe want to have uh, money that is not easily inflated, maybe a little bit private, maybe not censorable. Um, All these features that the current money systems are losing uh, in the name of uh, you know uh fighting tax evasion or tax avoidance uh, money laundering and all these horrible keywords uh i think they're uh they're breaking the the system um i like the name uh, my my friend who is an economist of the only true uh, school of economics, which is Austrian school. (laughs) Uh, He says that uh, money is a database, a memory of good deeds. So if I do something good for someone, I get a record in the form of money in this database. Uh, It is uh, in a way distributed, decentralized, um, but uh, often corrupted. And uh, if we um uh if we have a problem with this uh um uh, with this database uh the question is okay uh what do we do do we you know vote better and hope for change or uh or do we try to use uh some other database some other memory of good deeds uh that is not corrupted and that is the pearl monetary system that we can we can use so it's a backup uh, one last thing and, and then, uh, then I'll, I'll let you ask uh, another question is that uh, there is a difference between an alternative and the parallel economy and the difference is crucial an alternative is something that you're building uh, that w- with the goal of replacing the primary one which is not what we are doing. Uh, I don't think uh, we can uh, uh, we can tell other people what to do. I'm not comfortable with people used to U.S. dollars or euros telling them, "Oh no, U.S. dollars is you know you cannot use it anymore, and you we are going to replace it." I think uh, that's rude and it's not ethical. Uh, we what we are doing with these parallel economies, we are saying. Here is a parallel solution to some problems that you maybe have. And if you choose, you can switch to the parallel solution. You can even try it out a little bit. You don't have to abandon your ways, your, uh, your, uh, uh, the, the things that you're used to. Uh, and you can try out something else. And uh, what I say to people is uh, it's a good idea to have a, have a record in the in this parallel uh memory of good deeds um just in case something happens, I hope it won't. I'm not the guy that would say okay u s dollar burned to hell. I think a lot of people depend on 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 the u s dollar or the the main mainstream economy uh working so i'm I'm not a you know let's burn everything down guy uh but I tell people. I think it's a good idea in case something happens to have a record in the in the pearl uh, memory. Try it out, uh, try out pearl education, uh, culture, communication, and see maybe you find uh, some good use for it.
0: Yeah, I think first off that um, that idea of a uh, memory of good deeds being what a money system is, I think, is a really fascinating one that that jumped out at, at, at me when I was reading through that chapter. just that. I think the language really kind of evokes the idea of what money really is, and I think it helps to helps to hit home why it can be important to go ahead and go ahead and at least get familiar and comfortable with cryptocurrency specifically. I know Bitcoin is your focus, Monero is my focus more, but they they serve similar purposes. And just people going ahead and and getting familiar with those, getting a little bit learning how it works, can be an essential way that they can be prepared at least on the monetary side. For if a parallel economy is something they need now or something they need in the future. So I think that's it's really essential. And I I love your idea of how parallel economies are very different from an alternate, because I think especially for me, the more I learn about cryptocurrency, the more I learn about how the world functions, the more I learn about um, parallel economies from people like you and crypto anarchy the more i think it hit, hits home that the idea of cryptocurrencies serving as a an important tool in parallel economies or in crypto anarchy is a much more to me realistic idea than like bitcoin replacing the dollar or um, something like that and, and like you mentioned i think in in many ways it could be a more ethical and freedom focused view because we're not we're not forcing that onto somebody we're not hoping for the destruction of the the fiat system so that um so that bitcoin becomes like the the monetary system uh even though maybe if that happened there would be some good there but there would also be a lot of destruction and a lot of collapse and a lot of ruined people um but just having it as a having it as a key tool that is essential to building parallel economies and to having that that thing that you can opt out of the normal system into whether you need it today or you need it in the future i think that's such a uh such a vital way to view cryptocurrencies. And I think to me is really one of the most the most impacting and powerful things that cryptocurrency brings. I think it's a really big breakthrough in bringing that economic portion of parallel economies. And do you have any more thoughts around like how cryptocurrency changes, how parallel economies can function from maybe before cryptocurrencies were around or before
1: they were this accessible? Well, they made it global. So uh, currently, most people, uh, they don't see any kind of problem right now with the, with the economy. You know, in Europe, uh, the, uh, the bank wires, which are called, called uh, SEPA, Single Euro Payment Area, uh, they are uh, free or or super cheap uh, they usually work uh, you know uh, you can use your credit card uh it, it works so people don't see any kind of problem of course inflation is coming but uh, you know we need to save the economy whatever that means uh, after after the lockdowns and pandemic and uh, um mortgage crisis of 2008 and and so on so so people Maybe feel something might be wrong, but uh, in general, it works. You know, you go to a grocery store, you uh, take out your uh, ten dollar or ten euro banknote, you uh, you buy your your groceries, and uh, you go out, and and it works in general. So, um, what cryptocurrencies uh, bring uh, is that uh, we can uh, scale and try. Try these uh, uh, parallel economies on a more global scale, which is very good because uh, because uh, these parallel economies are of course uh, smaller than the the main economy. So uh, you know, if you want to buy <laughs> traditional alpaca socks uh, for Bitcoin, uh, uh, there might not be a store that is willing to exchange it in your hometown for Bitcoin. Uh, but uh, there is a guy in the u s maybe or Canada that will send it to you and and we have a global economy right now. So um, so cryptocurrencies bring this uh, uh, this global currency uh, worldwide and uh, enables uh, worldwide trade. So I think um, this also, uh, helps uh, with the poverty in general because right now uh, you can hire a programmer from uh, Iran from uh, from belarus from uh, from whatever Africa and so on um, until now the main problem for people was the payment uh, either sending it uh, to such a country uh, because of uh, some uh, uh because of not so well connected uh, payment networks, uh, but also receiving it uh, without uh, some local dictator taking it uh, from your pocket and, uh, and and stealing it. So uh, I think uh, this is very important uh, and something that couldn't be done before before cryptocurrencies were uh, invented, even. Even I would say uh, uh, this is only possible with uh, decentralized cryptocurrencies because Bitcoin is not the first uh, cryptocurrency, but it's the first uh, decentralized one. Um, uh, So that's one interesting thing. Um, You can uh, use uh, other money in parallel economy. So parallel economy doesn't need to use use, uh, cryptocurrencies, for example, I often buy things like uh, coffee or, uh, or farm-raised uh, meat or something like that directly from the vendors. It's parallel economy because it's not part of the official economy. Uh, but I pay cash and, uh, and it works. It's private. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for cash and I don't need to push this uh, on everyone. Of course, I always tease the vendors that uh, they could uh, accept uh, cryptocurrencies and they often do. Um, but uh, uh, but locally, uh, cash is also a good and usable uh, way of payment. Uh, it's private it's uh uncensorable because you can <laughs> you can just hand uh a, a, a banknote a bill to someone and and it just happens there's no third party involved um i like um if you if you are interested in parallel economies, uh, um, I don't know if you if you mentioned this on the podcast before, but I really like a very short book uh, by Smuggler and XYZ, which is called Second Realm. Uh, Second Realm is a different uh, name for parallel economy, and I like. Um, uh, that they're thinking about all these aspects the security aspect the uh the cultural aspect the the uh, uh, the separation of the of the first realm economy and society and the second realm economy and building a clear interface in uh an ethical way uh in which uh you don't uh force other people to go to second realm because some of them are really not comfortable with that. And I don't think it's ethical to, um, uh, to kind of, uh, push too much. And, uh, I think, uh, uh I think parallel economies should be opt in strictly opt in only for people who really want to try it out. Uh, it's good to be advocate. It's good to be an advocate for parallel economy, but, um, uh, uh, but we need to accept that not everyone is like us and not everyone cares about this uh, in in their lives.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's not something that most people are going to wake up to or at least that, that most people are going to see the need for before there's some kind of major event that makes them think about some other way to get the the produce that they're used to or the groceries that they're used to or or something like that. But in the meantime, important for those of us who do care and who do know, to be building out those things, to be be a part of that parallel economy, and to be to be educating around that, so that we're ready in case of that. Um, and there were there were two kind of key roles that you talked about in parallel economies in the, the chapter of the book you sent me um the first I want to focus on is something you called and i'm sure i'm going to butcher the pronunciation here but ethical vexlux i'm just gonna i'm gonna roll with that yeah well that
1: was perfect <laughs> oh wow wow
0: i'm proud <laughs> i'm proud of myself yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the second was proxy merchants um but i want to dive into yes. to ethical vex locks first and you talked about them as being really crucial to on and off board people to a parallel economy. Um, would you mind kind of breaking that down that term and idea a bit for listeners? Yes, sure. So uh,
1: the term also comes from uh, communist Czechoslovakia and uh, it was not easy to travel abroad. And when people did travel abroad uh, uh, by travel, I mean uh, either legally or escaped Uh, because uh, Czechoslovakia was uh, behind an iron curtain and uh, you needed the permission to be able to go uh, to the West. Uh, uh, You uh, needed money, so uh, so what was happening is that there was a group of people that uh, needed uh, a foreign currency, uh, which was uh, m- most often at that time uh, Deutsche Mark, German German Mark, uh, which later became Euro, um, or US dollars. But uh, Deutsche Marks were uh, were more, I would say, uh, used. And these people, uh, the term Wechslag uh, came uh, from uh, what they were saying. Uh, they were saying in German Geldwechseln, which means uh, trade money. Uh, so that's the uh, exchange. So if someone from the West uh, doesn't matter if they, they were uh, local or uh, local people coming back from abroad or uh, or uh, travelers from abroad who got permission to got in Uh, they were probably carrying foreign currency because you couldn't buy Czechoslovak crowns abroad, at least not for a good exchange rate, but uh, usually not at all. So when people entered, they needed the local money and they they needed to exchange it. Um, Of course, there was uh, an official state uh, exchange, uh, but uh, that was uh, on one hand uh, more expensive and on the other hand, it was not private and uh, some of these people didn't want uh, the government to know how much money they uh, they have um on the other hand the privacy was more important if someone wanted to escape uh to the west uh, they needed uh, needed money for uh, for life to uh, maybe to bribe someone and and to be able to travel uh as far uh, from the communists as possible and live as long as possible so they were saving money and uh, of course you can couldn't go to a, a state exchange to say uh, hello guys sorry I don't have a travel permit but I would really like to buy Deutsche Marks to, <laughs> uh, for for these Czechoslovak crowns uh, that was not a good idea so these guys were uh, um, quite tolerated i would say but definitely illegal and they were uh, at every bus station train station uh, even airport uh, uh, on on some squares uh, where uh, where tourists uh, often came and uh, they were uh, they were dealing with uh, with currencies and doing uh, an exchange which was better for the customer by the way, because they had spread uh, which was uh, quite huge uh, still lower than the official exchange but uh, but quite huge uh, people to this day really don't like them. that's why I put the word ethical before it uh, uh, because uh, uh, when you say in Czechoslovakia velagged people get this you know um, this idea of someone who wants to cheat you because uh, because they, Make money on the exchange, <laughs> uh, but uh, of course they—that's the way they—they're making their living. So, uh, how important they were uh, after the fall of communism, when the uh, when the national bank uh, had to set uh, an exchange rate, uh, they came to the square and they asked the Vexlax "What should the exchange rate of now?" relatively freely traded Czechoslovak Crown B because they didn't know. They only had their, uh, you know, imagination <laughs> of what the price should be. But the Vexlax knew better because they, they were trading it uh, both ways. So they saw the, the, the market uh, uh, trades actually happening. So the, so the central bank asked them. Uh, why I think it's important now and why I say that the time of the Vexlax uh, is back is because uh, we are uh, having uh, or or governments are introducing uh, regulations for cryptocurrency exchanges Uh, and what is also important a lot of these regulations don't come out of parliaments or governments because there are uh, international organizations that uh, fight uh, tax evasion that would be for example the, the mentioned OECD or uh, money laundering, which would be a financial action task force uh, or FATFA. Uh, People who are into crypto have for sure heard about uh, this uh, organization because they introduced the crypto rule and they are actually writing the international regulations uh, on uh, on fighting money laundering. So these organizations are limiting how you can acquire cryptocurrency. They're limiting the anonymity. I would say in most countries, getting uh, your cryptocurrency anonymously is still legal. And why I'm talking about it, I made an online course. I will sure um, translate it to English as well. I started in Slovak. Um, Is that I would like uh, their to be a network of these people and this network uh, should be here before we need it (laughs) so uh, in some uh, cities uh, in Czech Republic and in Slovakia you can uh, buy crypto anonymously uh, in uh, ATMs we have uh, especially in Slovakia not so much in Czech Republic but in Slovakia the ATMs are really cheap they Uh, charge uh, I think uh, less than 3% uh, fee Um, and it's an anonymous exchange. But uh, these are in a a few cities and uh, they have uh, limits, uh, they have uh, some problems. One of the main problems is that if crypto falls down uh, too quickly, they don't have enough uh, money on the exchange, the, the operators of the ATMs, so you cannot actually buy because everyone is buying uh, like crazy. So, so their their fiat uh, account on the exchange that they actually use to uh, to buy the crypto uh, is depleted uh, when uh, uh, when uh, crypto jumps up. There are a lot of people who want to cash out, and of course the uh, the cassette in the in the ATM uh, is uh, limited. It doesn't have infinite number of banknotes. So when when uh, for example um, uh, uh, at at the time when Bitcoin hit uh, you know fifty thousand dollars. You couldn't uh, get any uh, any fiat out of the ATM because it was gone by 9 a.m. because everyone just uh, ran to the ATM and and took it off. So these Vexlux, uh, first of all, they can be in every village in every city. Uh, they can create their network of people who they know are into cryptocurrency. They can help them set up a hardware wallet. They can uh, Explain to them uh, how it works, what to do, what not to do. Uh, that's why I teach them to be ethical, to not, you know, push some shit coins onto their clients or or something like that. But to really educate the people. So that's uh, another role that is different to an exchange or an ATM. Is that when you have a physical person that you that you know and you can talk to. Um, they can actually explain you how how this all works and make sure that you don't do anything uh, dumb. You don't you know buy some ETF or uh, or some some scam, and uh, they can facilitate the trade within within some community, some area. So what I've been experimenting with, uh, which is uh, uh, which is uh, quite a. New project for me, uh, but uh, but it has been quite common is I'm just because uh, l- let me first say after I, uh, I created the course, I was teaching uh, these Vex slugs how to how to hedge the exchange rate, uh, preferably anonymously, how to what to do if, uh, you know, they have all their money on, on one side or the other and so on. Uh, so I was teaching them how to become uh, become the become these dealers uh, but people started to write me they don't care about uh, learning they just want to find the vexlag uh, to do the trade with um, so they were asking me okay is the is there a central registry of the of the vexlag you know like a website and I say no uh, and the reason is the same as uh, why there is no central registry of illegal Weed dealers, you know, <laughs> that would be kind of um, uh, pointless because then even the the cops could uh, just look at the list and go and arrest them. So, no, there is not a central list. So, okay, how do I find uh, find one? And I say. Uh, a 14 year old person at least uh, in uh, in Czech Republic and Slovakia can buy wheat anytime they want you know <laughs> they ask uh, you know a brother a sister uh, uh, you know older uh, older schoolmate or or anyone and uh, after uh, asking uh, four times they they have a uh, a uh, signal number or or something uh, of a wheat dealer and and uh, they can buy wheat. So this same structure, which is what I was saying, you know, it's not a super nice registry where you click, okay, I'm in uh, this city and uh, I would like to buy Bitcoin for $500. No, that, uh, that doesn't exist. Or if it exists, uh, it will end like local Bitcoins. Uh, but what you can do, is you can say, okay, I have these 20 friends. They're uh, all interested in uh, in cryptocurrencies. Let's create a signal group. They, or three, my group or something like that. Uh, everything except, uh, except uh, WhatsApp and uh, Telegram because they're spyware. <laughs> and uh, create some rules for trading. And you can ask, you know, you're in the same city. Uh, you... Uh, you would like to buy some Bitcoin. Maybe someone wants to sell some Bitcoin, and uh, and uh, you create these communities. You leverage the existing social structures. You know your friends. Uh, you know they have friends, and and you can expand this network and uh, and basically organically discover that some of these people realize, okay, maybe uh, if this guy wants to buy Bitcoin, maybe I can sell it to them, maybe I can add uh, a small fee on top of that, maybe I can hedge the exchange rate, and maybe if I do this quite often, uh, I can uh, make some additional income, I can help other people. And uh, you will discover that some people realize, okay, uh, you know the economy is hard, <laughs> uh, and and maybe maybe I would like some additional income. So so I will be doing this service. I will be the guy that will always answer yes to most trades. I will come to the cafeteria, make the deal, and so on. And if this happens, it doesn't matter uh, what the future rules for exchanges will be, what they need to report, uh, and and so on. But uh, uh, And this is what is organically happening in, in the set countries like Colombia or uh, Nigeria, that people created this structure. But I think it's better to have it uh, to already help people discover who wants to do these kinds of trades and, and uh, how, to, how to create this structure because it takes some time uh, for people to discover how to do it uh and uh and how to facilitate uh, these transactions how to build reputation how to verify reputation
0: and so on yeah i love the i love the organic nature of this idea like how how it can spread so easily how it can have education at the core of what these people are doing i mean it's something that i've done a little bit of in the past obviously not to this scale that you're talking about but um the the personal nature of it especially when it's like face-to-face for cash is I think so vital. And I've had some really good conversations with people. I've had some time to just sit down with people and really explain what cryptocurrency is about or like Bitcoin or Monero specifically, how, how to use them, what they should be concerned about, what they don't need to worry about. There's, there's a very unique personal angle that comes with it being, like you said, a, a person who you know through someone or who you've been connected with somehow rather than just a a kind of nameless exchange that wants to profit off you. And that doesn't mean that the the person doing this isn't making a profit. Obviously, they need to make a profit for the service they're providing, especially if there's any kind of legal risk or uh, any kind of... Obviously, they're also taking on exchange risk and stuff like that. So them making a profit is is definitely not a bad thing, but they're not just kind of a a blind exchange.
1: Yeah, it's quite interesting because... um... A friend started uh, a group uh, uh, that that uh, was focusing on small introductory trades uh, with Lightning. So, uh, so it's called uh, Lightning Vexel, uh, also encrypted group, but more open. Uh, it's quite easy to get in. And first, uh, I, I subscribed, and first people were, you know, offering uh, uh, or asking for for trades. And no one was taking uh, uh, taking the orders, and and I said, you know, guys, uh, it's okay to ask for uh, for a few percent more. Uh, don't be shy, you know. People people look at the fees and they're they're kind of you know. Um, scared uh, that uh you know it it's it should be free because uh because we're in this friendly environment and the goal is to uh to educate people to get them their first uh, lightning bitcoin by the way it organically started trading monero as well <laughs> but uh uh but it was like it really needed uh nudge from me and other people that it is okay to ask for uh for an extra fee and i also told the people that were that were uh, asking for the exchange to say okay uh tell them that you will pay two percent more and maybe that will raise the the probability that someone takes the offer and uh, Now it's standard. Now, now it's quite often the case. Uh, What is really interesting that people have been uh, offering other, other form, uh, forms of, uh, uh, of fees. So two two of the funniest were uh, of course, a little bit of homegrown wheat <laughs> in addition to to Bitcoin. Uh, and the other one was uh, that was also really interesting was a was a directory uh, with uh, pictures with uh, Bitcoin memes. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be uh, fees, but you know you can you can tell people that it's okay to, incentivize the trade if you see that you know i'm asking i'm asking and no one is taking the offer okay so maybe you're on the wrong wrong side of the trade maybe everyone wants to wants to do what you're doing uh if bitcoin goes up and you want to cash out uh it's understandable that people don't want to um buy expensive crypto from you and you need to incentivize them and and it's you know, I was surprised that, that you needed to tell it to people that it was not uh, not natural
0: to them. They were kind of shy to to do this. Yeah, and I mean, especially if, if people want this type of thing to to persist and to to keep going. I mean, the people who are putting in the time and effort and money to becoming an ethical vex lock, like they, they need some way to recoup the things that they're putting in. I mean, maybe some people can afford to do it with all their time and money and not make a profit but generally the people are going to need something that keeps them into it that keeps them able to dedicate that time and and effort i mean they're providing a a non easy service to provide like it's not necessarily something that's simple and anyone can pick up so i think something i've talked about in the past with other people not on the podcast but like on twitter is people often get scared of a premium for using like cryptocurrency exchanges that don't require kyc know know rec- your customer information or people freak out when they go and like and it used to be local Bitcoins, now local Monero is really the only version similar to that, but they go in there and they see they have to pay a 5 or 8% premium and they freak out, but they're they're not realizing that the discount you're getting when you're going to that central exchange or when you're going to that government-approved exchange is that you're giving them over all of your personally identifiable information, you're sacrificing your privacy, and you're getting a discount in exchange for that. I, I really view whatever the, the market rate on the street is, whether that's just directly peer-to-peer with somebody, or if that's something like BISC or local Monero, that's really the market rate. And you can get a discount if you're willing to give up your personally identifiable information. But I think people need to realize that that trade is obviously going in the favor of the, the governments and central exchanges that are choosing to do that. And it's, it's well worth paying a perceived premium for keeping a service alive that's really providing a, an essential piece. And I love that that was a focus of this, this section of your book
1: yeah yeah and also of course the more uh, these uh, dealers there are the the fees uh, would be lower so uh, so i rarely see anything about uh, above 5% and usually it's much less it's more like 3 to 5% in most cases in the most extreme cases uh the uh it could go higher but i also advise people not to do stupid things like you know uh um, go uh, meet a random person on the street with a suitcase of cash and and uh, and, and buy or sell uh it's
0: uh, it's maybe
1: worth uh, playing it safe and really really using the social network and the reputation and uh, and and uh, doing it uh Maybe, maybe sometime less is more. So, um, I think, I think, uh, starting with something like, uh, like a small signal group when you re where you really introduce people when you say, Okay, I'll, I'll sell you, uh, Monero for $20 or $50 just to try it out, just to see if you can create a wallet, um, settle your debt with friends. You know, someone pays for the lunch and you send them monero or lightning uh, bitcoin um just to settle the, settle the lunch and and you know play with these transactions because everyone wants to okay uh they they, they read about crypto they see okay so if i wait four years it will be 10x and i'm going to put in a lot of money and then they're uh, sad because uh, more often than not uh, it uh, crashes and doesn't go up <laughs> uh but uh but just uh, you know using it uh, playing with it um, is uh, is much easier one of the best uh, use cases for crypto that i had uh, was i was traveling with friends uh uh we went uh to uh, to Amsterdam. Uh, one time we went to uh, South Korea, and uh, we were doing this. You know, we wanted to, uh, you know, rent a boat. So someone paid for the for the boat, for example, with their credit card, and we all needed to settle. But if you have a friend who is from Czech Republic and uses Czech crowns and is outside of the single euro payment area, so the the. Uh, uh, the exchange can be expensive. Someone is from South Korea. You don't wire money to South Korea because that's insane. That's expensive. Um, and then on the other hand, uh, people need to do accounting. You know, I don't understand uh, Korean won's or Czech crowns because I don't use them. Uh, so normally in normal case uh, it becomes uh, quite difficult to keep tabs and to settle it and uh, you know or you have to handle uh, a local currency which is also uh, you know local banknotes and so on so what we did is we uh, we decided on the uh, on the settlement cryptocurrency everyone created their own wallet which uh, they didn't need to to Uh, anything, Uh, they just installed the app and created the private keys. Um, Then uh, uh, we were just showing uh, QR codes. If I wanted to request, 20 euros because i paid for lunch i typed 20 euros the guy who was thinking in czech crowns because he's from czech republic uh, they didn't need to do any exchange rate calculation they scanned the qr code uh they hit uh, send and uh, that's it. No international transfers. No, uh, no uh, currency conversions. No local banknotes wherever we were, and so on. So I think these super easy use cases among friends are are the most important because that's how you can uh, do it. You do transactions. You don't you just save and huddle, but you can you can try it out. You can see okay with Monero. Um, I paid one guy, and I don't have any any other um, output to spend. and I need to wait twenty minutes. And you learn that by experience. You don't, you know, you can read the documentation, but uh, but when you do it uh, every day, when you when you understand what's going on, um, when you when you exchange one crypto for another as well, uh, that's the way to learn. So I I suggest people. You know not going big at first you know take uh, whatever 20 50 100 dollars uh buy some crypto and play with it and and use it with your family with your friends and uh, that's the way to uh to learn
0: yeah it's a really cool opportunity when i was at Con. this i guess a week ago now um both that piece of just being able to to keep a a way to settle between friends. I mean, there are a lot of people from the Monero community there and we would go out for dinners, go out for lunches. And we settled all of our debts by just paying each other back in Monero. Super simple. We had people from different countries. Like you mentioned, we didn't have to care about exchange rate. I just said, okay, lunch was $80, split it four ways, $20 each. Like you said, just make a QR code that requests $20 worth of Monero. They send it to me. Done. It was was a super simple way to do that and, and a nice way to cut out the exchange rate headache. Um, and the other cool piece that I got to experience at DEFCON was just onboarding some people into Monero. Um, one guy got like the uh, the best exchange rate of all time because I missed a decimal point. So I sent him 10 times as much uh, Monero as I meant to. <laughs> so he, he gave me a $5 bill and he got $50 worth of Monero. But uh, <laughs> he, he, he tipped the, um, there's a, coffee company called Gratuitas that's run by some people in the community Um, and they were there they're very very cool project yeah it really is I I love what they're doing I drank way too many shots of espresso while I was there from them Um, (laughs) but they were letting people tip in Monero directly to the farmers who had grown the coffee beans so like I onboarded this guy to Monero he went got some lunch when he came back he got some coffee and was able to tip them directly with the Monero that I just onboarded him to so just really cool experiences like you mentioned you only you only get those by both just actually educating and onboarding people, but also um, doing those things in real life, showing them how it works, getting them on board, and, and really showing them the the way that these things can function. It's cool to see people grasp that in real life um, in a way that maybe you don't yeah. get to see just online. But,
1: you know, what is interesting that uh, people say that, uh, uh, you know, uh, it. Uh, crypto is difficult and keys and qr codes and uh, they say okay it should be as easy as venmo <laughs> or revolut or or paypal mm-hmm. and i always t- tell them okay but <laughs> but do you understand that venmo is definitely not easy for me because i can't have it i'm not an american i don't have a us phone number i don't have a us Credit card, bank account, nothing. So it's not easy because I cannot do it at all. It's not that you know the user interface is um, uh, is you know easier or not easier. Uh, it's absolutely unusable for me. It's a, it's a total no go because I just cannot use it at all. And um, I think most people appreciate uh, the simplicity of cryptocurrencies. When they start uh, uh, doing international payments, so so that's that's I would say the sp- sweet spot. So, for example, uh, I was saying that uh, that people um, they don't uh, understand why they should use crypto because they just send the wire and it arrives the next day and it's almost free and it works. Or these uh, solutions like PayPal and Venmo, of course, when you uh, when you uh, Deduct the fees, especially of PayPal. Uh, but when you do these international transfers, you realize how difficult it is actually, and what kind of problem uh, crypto solves. So, um, uh, two examples. Uh, one is I was uh, doing international business with um, with uh, international companies, and very often the bank wire would take a month, and you would need to uh, uh, you would need to give the uh, the receiving bank all the information about the transaction contract. Uh, you know who will, who was working on the project, uh, invoice. You know and uh, describe the relationship with the customer and so on. So unless you do, you know, uh, of course you can you can buy coffee and uh, wire a uh, hundred dollars, but when you uh hire uh, programmers from outside of your uh currency area uh, and uh, you want to pay them uh, the banks start asking questions and it takes a month and for a programmer <laughs> uh, a month is a long time without <laughs> without getting paid so uh so one thing is uh, uh is this uh, International transfers. Um, the other issue is uh, I have a friend from uh, from uh, from Panama, and after Panama papers, uh, uh, he was uh, trying to send uh, uh, less than thousand uh, dollars to his daughter uh, who is living and studying in Spain. <laughs> and the uh, and by the way uh, she also has a spanish passport uh, so uh, the bank stopped the payment the receiving bank the spanish bank stopped the payment because it's from panama so it's you know dirty money laundering and it was less than thousand euros you know it was not 10 million <laughs> it was less than thousand dollars uh, uh, and uh, and the payment just didn't go through they they returned it and she couldn't uh, couldn't pay for uh, for her tuition or or dorm or uh, or whatever the money was for. Uh, so unless you try these things, you don't really know how how the situation is really bad. you 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 know you say, okay, why are you bothering me with this crypto i can just uh, you know with Revolut or or this uh, fintech stuff i can just uh, send money uh, to a phone number Um, and i say yes to a person living in the same country using the same currency and if it's uh, not a lot of money you can and it works uh but for other things uh, the crypto is just more user-friendly today it's not a not a vision of the future it's it's uh uh, uh uh waiting for a monero miner to mine my international transaction for the for the payment for the services that i buy versus uh waiting for a month for for the transaction to arrive uh to to the supplier and uh and submitting all the documents and going through all that harassment, it's a no-brainer. Like <laughs> Monero is definitely uh, more user-friendly than, than international wire uh, between uh, business entities that are not uh, from the same
0: country. Yeah, yeah, a big piece of that is just, is the middleman that you're dealing with someone who's easy, fast, and cheap to process payments, or is it complex? And like you said, a lot of people, their experience with payments may just be their friend in the same country, but there are a lot of other hurdles that maybe they don't have experiences with where cryptocurrency really hits home. Um, the other kind of main role that you talked about in parallel economies is this idea of proxy merchants. Would you mind kind of talking about the the role that they play in building and supporting parallel economies?
1: Yes. Uh, so proxy merchants are uh, are basically the gateway between the main economy and the and the parallel economy. Uh, so. Uh, One of the example would be uh, someone, uh, you know, you have uh, only crypto and you want to buy something from Amazon. You care about your privacy, so you don't want uh, to create an Amazon account, uh, but you want to buy something and you would like to find this uh, middleman that can uh, handle the transaction. Um, But these proximate merchants can be much more. Uh, so, uh, for example, um, uh, there there is uh, quite a large market with uh, discounted uh, uh, gift cards. Uh, so they can uh, they can uh, uh, kind of pass part part of these discounts uh, to the to the people uh, from the main economy. So they just want cheaper stuff and uh, uh, they can use these proxy merchants to you know find the find the gift cards uh, process the payment order it and everything and uh, they can uh, they can uh, um, bring uh, bring uh, these these services of the of the parallel economy to the mainstream economy so I think it goes both ways and there are many reasons why someone uh, is uh, not able or willing to interact with the uh, with either the the mainstream economy or the parallel economy directly and they uh, need a middleman one of the reasons is privacy uh, the second uh, reason is that they um, they just don't know how to do it so so it's a it's a skill issue it's uh you know if I want to um, uh, buy a uh, uh, solar panel for my grandma. Uh, you know, <laughs> she she will certainly not uh, uh, go and contact the Vexlag to buy Bitcoin and order it on, on some uh, store. Uh, she she needs uh, uh, she needs uh, uh, someone to do it for her. So it's a, it's a very usable service. Um, And also uh, the other way around. So, uh, for example, uh, I was talking about the shortage of uh, FFP2 respirators. Uh, What uh, didn't happen was uh, uh, someone from the mainstream economy uh, going to the parallel economy, buying them. Where they were available and uh, selling them to the mainstream economy. So, if there was a hospital and there was a shor- shortage of these uh, uh, medical uh, uh, medical goods, uh, they were not able to buy it because uh, the mainstream economy doesn't have access to uh, uh, to the uh to the to the parallel economy so they need a proxy merchant that can that can do that and it's a a very useful service because uh it's a difference between not having the the uh, medical goods and having them so it's quite important another uh uh, thing is uh that uh uh that uh the, the the how to say uh the uh uh you you really want a liquid market uh so uh so and, and it's not not always possible uh for people to uh to access one or or the other so there was open bazaar there was uh diy economy so people were printing uh, these uh Face shields during COVID. They were printing uh, spare parts to uh, to lung ventilators and so on. Um, and uh, the uh, the proxy merchants uh, are people who can uh, create bridge this demand and uh, and create uh, this liquid market because when they signal that there is a demand, people start uh, creating it. So, for example. Uh, proxy merchant what they could do and what I, what I saw at least in Czech Republic and Slovakia is they created a crowdfunding campaign um, on the parallel economy uh, for the parallel economy uh, then uh, the result of this crowdfunding campaign was that they were able to to uh, procure these uh, this do-it-yourself 3D printed uh, things in the parallel economy because they, these were not registered companies um, one of the differences maybe uh between uh, european style of doing things or of doing business and uh and american is that in europe uh, you need a business permit for doing most of the things outside of employment one of the few exceptions is uh when you uh, create uh, uh intellectual property so when you write or record a podcast or something you don't need a permit for that but if you um if you would uh for example 3d print uh, uh, face uh, shields and you want to sell them uh, and it's not a, a one-time sale of something that you produced or you had extra uh, but if it's uh, kind of continuous, you need a special kind of permit, even if you don't want a limited liability company, uh, you cannot just do it and uh, uh, declare it as income, uh, but you need a special permit that you are a uh, 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 self-employed entrepreneur. So uh, uh, so that's uh, something that uh, these proxy merchants can kind of bridge because they have no problem buying from private people. They don't uh, need to exactly know where it arrived from because uh, they just send someone a crypto. They receive it in the mail. They don't know the person who created it. And then they can put it together and sell it to the mainstream economy and or uh, give it to them for free if it's a crowdfunding campaign. So there are many of these uh, useful things. And I think... Uh, uh there's a lot of red tape uh with merchants with uh, mainstream markets and proxy merchants are one of the ways how to remove this red tape and uh make the markets more liquid and thus people more wealthy
0: awesome thanks for thanks for bringing that down for us um another question i had was just how does privacy play a role in the success or failure of parallel economies i know we've touched on this a little bit but maybe just kind of summarize how, how important privacy is in, in building out these economies?
1: Well, parallel economies are uh, seen as competition by the mainstream economy and especially uh, by the state. So uh, if you're not private, you will be shut down. It's as simple as that. Uh, so that's uh, one of the reasons I don't like central registries. That's why I go the um, i I like to go the less effective uh, route and uh, use the less effective effective way of asking people around okay who is willing to sell me their farm meat or vegetables or uh, bitcoin or something like that um, because uh, uh, when they do it uh, in a way that is seen by these uh, institutions uh they can be easily uh shut down completely and uh if not now maybe in the future so uh so i think it goes hand in hand uh, i don't think uh like like the privacy is one of the main things that uh, that creates the border between the mainstream economy and the parallel economy so uh unless you do it in a private way you probably are uh, are in the mainstream economy even if you like to pretend you're not (laughs) Um, but this privacy can uh, uh, can be uh, Applied in uh, in different ways. So for some people, it is enough that uh, no one knows their exact uh, income. You know, the the plumber that uh, takes cash. Uh, well, they're probably uh, listed somewhere on uh, um, in in the whatever current version of yellow pages is <laughs> um, so you know that this person is a plumber but you don't know uh, how much how much cash they they earned uh, doing their their job uh, so they can be said that uh, or it can be said that part of their income is in the parallel economy it's not a black economy they're not you know doing uh, anything uh, hardcore uh, they're just doing their job and uh, maybe not de- declaring all their income and, uh, and thus they are for creating, forming this uh, this parallel economy. For others, it could be complete darkness, uh, uh, complete privacy. Uh, again, my uh, my uh, most uh, used example, as you probably heard, is uh, the wheat dealer. Uh, they're definitely not listed anywhere uh, and uh, um, depending on the on the situation uh, about wheat in different countries uh, they take uh, precautions some of them uh, use burner phones some of they do uh, uh, drop deliveries uh, for prepaid orders uh, some of them you meet some of them you don't meet. Um, so it's a wide uh, variety, but uh, once they set up a shop uh, uh, like a dispensary in the US and they smile uh, from behind cash register, they're no longer part of the of the parallel economy. So I, I would say that uh, that privacy is one of the borders that uh, that shows you if this is uh, a mainstream economy or parallel economy. So it's a very important uh, piece of the parallel economy
0: and the last question i had around parallel economies for you is again something i think we touched about here and there throughout our discussion today but um how can the people who are listening to this take active steps towards connecting with and supporting a parallel economy
1: trade <laughs> and it's it's very simple but not many people are really doing it you know uh when you when you meet people uh it's uh you talk to them. Okay, what are you? What, what do you do? And uh, uh, when you realize that they they're good in something, that they have a unique ability, uh, hire them, uh, buy their products uh, uh, in the parallel economy, and also participate it so uh, in it. So so for example, um, we have a a, a group. Uh, also, uh, this one is. Uh, on facebook i think even and it's just a flea market for crypto uh, but people are selling stuff they don't need so it uh, it frees this uh, stuff you know old computers printers hard drives uh, whatever uh, cars even um they can they can Turn stuff that they don't use uh, for crypto. Yeah, so, so this group is uh, strictly crypto only. It doesn't matter what kind of crypto, but uh, there are no fiat deals. And people learn uh, to participate in the in the economy. The second thing uh, would be to uh, kind of uh, build these uh, social structures of the parallel economy because it's not uh, parallel economy is not about the trade you make you know it's not about your your friend who grows uh, organic meat uh, uh, or or uh uh vegetables uh, that that you know and you trade with but it's about this uh, discovery process and discovery not only of prices but all, also of the of the vendors or of the uh, of the people uh, you can uh, you can exchange with so um, the first super easy step uh, is uh, create a really simple uh, maybe signal group. I really like signal groups, but you can use uh, Trima or element or, or something like that uh, that is encrypted. It's not public, so, so you need an invite to get in and just ask your friends your your family that that you like uh, and that you trust in some way to participate and to introduce and bring new members and when you create these uh, these groups they they are really nice because they uh, they they uh, ignite uh, interesting discussions as well. So it's not only uh, about participation of the uh, in, in the in the parallel uh, in the parallel economy, but also about uh, about growing together and exchanging information and thinking, exchanging ideas. Uh, but when you when you do this, you really uh, you really are creating this fabric of. Um, of uh, of this parallel economy, so it's not not the people that you know, but uh, but the whole whole kind of the tree of people that you can invite. And uh, when you do this, uh, what happens is that, uh, for example, you create uh, two groups. Uh, you uh, live in one city, but you grew up in another city. Uh, so you, you create uh, uh, one group with your childhood friends uh, from the city where you grew up and you create another group uh, in the city where you currently live. And what happens is that uh, sometimes uh, someone uh, in a, one of the groups will have a request and you can proxy it into, into the other group. So you can become this uh, this connector that... Uh, that uh, enables uh, the trade and uh, and grows the tree so of course um, you cannot have a have a signal group with uh, with a thousand people because then the reputation breaks down people are chatting and and it's just insane and people just leave so you need to make them small but you don't need to participate only in one and you can you can become this this connector and um, and when you start doing this so creating uh, so First trading, uh, second uh, creating these uh, these small small trading groups, I would say, um, then uh, um, routing uh, among these uh, trading groups and helping people uh, do mutually beneficial trades. Uh, the third thing is uh, don't be shy uh, to offer. What you do uh, in these uh, uh, in these groups? So, for example, the way I write the book is I found in Parallel Society uh, someone who is willing to edit the book. Uh, it's a different person for Slovak and for for English version of the book. I found in Parallel Society a person that is uh, doing the graphics design. Um, I found people who are willing uh, to distribute it in, in some cafeterias and so on. And this is all uh, peer-to-peer uh, relationships with people that I know personally. I can opt out from the old school corporate uh, version of doing things of bosses and hierarchies and so on. And and you get this... Um, uh, this entrepreneurial experience—you don't—you are not shy about uh, asking for a premium. You are not uh, shy to uh, of uh, of hiring people, and uh, and you uh, you just become embedded in the in the uh, in the parallel economy, and uh, and that's how you build it. You you use it day to day for many things of course i uh, i shop in a standard grocery store as well i use uh, um, use the mainstream economy as well because it's very useful it has uh it, it is good to have access to uh, to markets for uh, for a lot of my needs but especially for things that are important to me and that is uh, people who i cooperate with um i think it's good to uh, to Create these uh, kinds of parallel relationships, and uh, and it also uh, kind of shapes who you interact with. So so uh, if you um, have a strict rule of uh, producing uh, by paying suppliers in crypto only, you are hundred percent sure that the money doesn't come from some state subsidy fund, and you don't have to talk to bureaucrats and so on. So so it shapes your environment the people that you interact with. So it's it's very rewarding, I would say. So trade, build groups, connect groups together, and then become entrepreneurial in the parallel economy yourself.
0: Yeah, thank you for thank you for breaking that down. And just this this whole conversation about parallel economies has been really enlightening for me. It's something that's been kind of becoming more important, but there's not as many places to learn about it because it's kind of a, a niche idea at this point at least. So thanks for breaking that down. And I love that just throughout the whole idea of parallel economies, really something at the core of it is just building relationships with like-minded people. Um, that that's yes. really what undergirds the whole concept of a parallel economy and the, the people you're trading with and uh, the, the relationship you're building are, are just building up this very strong community that can exist outside of the normal economy it's, it's a really fascinating concept i think one that that i think would hit a home with a lot of people if they did dive into it so i hope that hope the listeners will take that seriously and see what what steps they can take like you just mentioned to to dive into that um i do have a couple more just kind of normal questions obviously parallel economies is really kind of the core of what i wanted to chat about but I have some questions that that i talked about with every guest so i'd love to get your your thoughts but um the first one is just what are some of the tools you use regularly to opt out that you'd recommend others to take a look at and then why?
1: Uh, definitely Signal, uh, PGP or GPG uh, for communication. I, I'm also looking at element. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, it's an encrypted messenger that is distributed so you can run your own server. It's similar to uh, uh, to email. Uh, Then of course uh, uh, for crypto I use uh, Trezor hardware wallet, Monero uh, wallet with my Trezor Model T. I use um, uh, I use Lightning wallets uh, because uh, that's a good way to make uh, cheap and private Bitcoin transactions. Um, What else? for for privacy i like uh using uh, uh, tools uh to remove metadata from from pictures uh vpn of course uh tor um, i uh also uh i like to uh, uh to uh kind of blur faces on some pictures uh, which is uh Interesting you ma- you mentioned Defcon I'm not sure how it's uh, at, at Defcon but CCC and parallel police uh, both have a very strict uh, policy against taking and publishing photographs of people that uh, do not opt in so you need to ask them first not uh, no opt- out but opt-in and we're kind of being jerks about it, but it's quite interesting to teach people uh, to ask if they can take a picture of someone. So that's what we've been doing as well. Like even if there's a party, uh, either there are no faces of people or if they are, they need uh, to consent first. Uh, But if I take a picture of, for example, something on the street that is interesting, I like to blur faces of the people that, uh, that didn't uh, consent to being taken and were just at, at, the, at the place. Uh, from the other side of uh, taking pictures, a very good privacy tool is just your hand. If you see someone taking a picture uh, with their phone or camera, it's just put your hand in, fr- in front of your face. Um, what,
0: of course, what face, tool do you use face mask. Face blurring.
1: Um, I wrote my own. Uh, I published it uh, because uh, it's... Um, It's uh, combined with uh, uh, face detection. So not face recognition, but just detecting where the the faces are. So what we did, for example, um, uh, at events is we have a photographer, we have a directory uh, full of photos. and we just uh, uh, start uh, start this uh, script uh, that goes uh, and blurs all the faces that are uh, in the directory. Of course, someone has to manually check it because it can miss uh, some faces. But um, uh, uh, but I I uh, use that. I think it's on the on the uh, website of Parallel Police. It's open source. I think it's also on the Parallel Police GitHub. Um, and on the on the phone. Um, I don't remember what's the name. I used ObscuraCam, but I'm not sure if it's available uh, anymore. I, I've been just using something different. I, I don't remember now.
0: I think Signal SignalWise the ability to blur faces, but I, I have yeah, used it a, myself yet.
1: Yeah, that's a new feature, but it's only for... Uh, well, if you're sending it, of course yeah. you can send it to yourself. Not many people know that you can send a signal message to yourself. If you search uh, "note to yourself" in your contact list, it's a default uh, um, uh, default uh, contact that you have. You don't need, you don't send it to your phone number. You just search "note to self," and that's a special window where you can send messages to yourself. So that's uh, that's quite useful. So that's uh, basically uh, the main ones, and of course, uh, cryptocurrencies uh, allow you to, uh, to um, keep your privacy in many more ways. So paying for services, hosting, email uh, in a private way. Uh, So what I do uh, quite often is I buy gift cards like on BitRefill uh, uh, or or other websites and pay with that instead of a credit card. It's quite difficult these days to uh, do a private transaction. Uh, I live near Czech Republic. uh, So what is neat is that in Czech Republic, you can still buy uh anonymous prepaid sim cards so that's also useful if you need to give someone the phone number for uh either verification or if the if the uh, delivery company needs a phone number to deliver something to you uh it's good to have a private phone that you change from time to time so uh that's quite nice thing to do uh what else well, these are—I I think these are the, the main main tools that I that I use.
0: Awesome. Well, last question I have for you is uh, just: What advice would you give to someone who's just starting to realize the need for personal privacy?
1: Uh, start trying. Start uh, small. Uh, well, first of all, uh, it it is incredibly difficult to be fully private and people don't realize it uh, so um, what one experiment I would suggest would be just to try it out just to be just to try to be as private as you can be and then you realize uh, that you really didn't do a good job and by this I mean okay um, leave your home without uh, without uh, a record of uh, of you being somewhere. So f- of course you realize, okay, I need to turn off my phone. Then you realize, okay, my phone fo- uh, or 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 your um, operator put your put your phone in airplane mode. Maybe you use Wi-Fi. Then you realize that uh, your phone connects to a Wi-Fi, then you realize that maybe there are uh, CCTV cameras on the street. Uh, Maybe you pay with a with a card for for the for the public transport and so on. So um, just be aware, first of all, uh, what kind of uh, what kind of uh, uh, record People uh, or companies have about you, and and kind of try try to avoid it as much as possible. You will if you start doing it uh, uh, for for a, for a longer time. So not for an hour, you can go out for two hours without a phone and do nothing and just basically walk. That's not uh, as difficult, but uh, in a, in a regular day, it's very difficult uh, to. Uh, to go without the record, you know, don't use your uh, uh, loyalty card uh, at the cafeteria unless it's the stamp kind that <laughs> is not recorded on uh, in the system. And when you realize how difficult it is, then you know, don't just uh, give up and say, "Okay, this is too difficult. I will never be able to do it." Um, but try to uh, lower your blueprint that you that that you leave. So one of the first things I would suggest is uh, uh, use uh, or either switch or at least start using as a as a second account, uh, maybe a more private email provider such as ProtonMail, uh, even if you don't want to mess with uh, GPG, you know, I I personally use ProtonMail. I I like it quite a lot, although I don't use email that much these days. (laughs) Uh, More more interesting stuff happening on Signal and I don't have any colleagues to write me emails with reports. (laughs) Uh, But... um, Start using these tools and uh, be just a little bit more private uh, every day and and just be aware of uh, of what is happening. Another good tool I didn't mention and it's a good one to start with is uh, install uh, some kind of ad blocker such as uh, uBlock or microBlock or something like that. it's not only about uh, blocking advertisements, which is <laughs> uh, uh, which is also neat, uh, but uh, but it also leaves uh, uh, less uh, uh, you you leave less tracks uh, uh, during your online activities uh, with, with the browser when you turn off advertisements. I <laughs> uh, I'm so used to. Uh, to uh, to blocking advertisements that uh, i uh, until uh, a few months ago i believed that uh, pirate bay is this very nice uh, simple website with just one search box and two buttons and the, and the logo <laughs> and the, then then uh, someone opened uh, uh pirate bay on uh uh, uh in in their normal bro- browser without without an ad blocker and i was shocked that it's so full of junk so
0: <laughs> yeah i forget so how it... bad ads are when i'm like someone else uses yeah. a device that doesn't have ublock origin or something installed i'm just i'm not even used to what that's like it's uh it's ridiculous yeah yeah, yeah. awesome well thank you so much for coming on your it was a, a really good i think very unique Conversation and, and look into uh, your thoughts and your writing around parallel economies, and I know this is going to be incredibly helpful for the listeners of this episode um, and for people who want to chat about it more or learn more about it. What's kind of the best place to to find or communicate with you in the future?
1: So the best place to find me is probably my website hackyourself.io, uh, where I put on my blogs, and uh, there's uh, also. Um, uh, shop where uh, people can get my uh, new book when when it's out. It's almost finished, but it will take some uh, some weeks uh, for the editing to be to be done. Of course, you can pay with Monero um, and uh, and Bitcoin. Um, I also have a Twitter. Uh, that's how we communicate, and I believe um, the handle is Jurbed. So the first uh, three letters from my first name and surname, um, I'm not very active on Twitter uh, or depends on the mood. I kind of uh, opted out of it uh, because, uh, uh, because it was, too much toxic Bitcoin maximalism for me, and it was easier <laughs> just not to go there uh, than then, then to filter uh, all the all the crap that was happening at that, and of course the COVID craziness and political discussions. So so I kind of uh, uh, I I was not able to find a good. Uh, uh, Good group of people uh, to follow, and those that uh, uh, that I should uh, listen to, uh, like you, uh, they they uh, don't uh, talk that much. So so I kind of um, opted out. But I I still post. Uh, I use a Buffer to uh, to post uh, my blogs and, and stuff on Twitter. But I don't don't read it much. So uh, that's the two interesting ones. And if you want to uh, write me uh, an email, the best way would be to uh, to use the contact form on my website, which will encrypt the email to me. So uh, it's uh, end-to-end private uh, through my website. So that's actually better than using an email address because then I would need to uh, give you my PGP key and everything else. And this is uh, the easiest way to contact me.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for coming on today, Uri. I, I, I had a great time. I learned a ton and uh look yeah, forward <laughs> to, to keeping in touch in the future. And I, I know that the listeners are gonna really enjoy this one. So thank you again for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. Bye bye.
0: Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Opt Out. If you did, please take a moment and subscribe to the podcast. Or if you're already subscribed, share it with one friend or family member this week. As always, you can check out the links to our guest content and contact info, as well as links to all of the tools we discussed in today's episode in the show notes or at optoutpod.com. Now get out there and opt out this week. If you're like me and consume a lot of content on YouTube, going without YouTube for privacy reasons can be a painful idea. Thankfully, NewPipe is an incredible, free, and open source Android app that allows you to browse, watch, and download YouTube videos without ads and requires no Google login. It even provides native ways to create playlists, import subscriptions directly from YouTube, and keep up to date with your latest channels. NewPipe does all of this while helping to protect your privacy by removing all unnecessary queries to Google servers blocking ads and trackers, and allowing you to maximize consumption offline whenever possible. They even have their own F-Droid repository for rapid updates for those using FDroid. I highly recommend checking out NewPipe today if you're on Android and haven't yet, or if you already use and love their app, consider donating to help them keep up the good work. <laughs>